Welcome to The How of Business with Henry Lopez and David Begin, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here are your hosts. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez, and my guest today is Russ Perry. Russ, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Henry. So Russ is an entrepreneur, and he's the founder of Design Pickle and the author of The Sober Entrepreneur. He spent eight years building businesses that yielded zero in profit. We'll chat about that experience. And now in less than three years, he has grown Design Pickle to uh, over half a million in monthly recurring revenue and a team of over 135 people. Uh, Russ's recent success almost never happened, though, because he had been hiding something. He was an alcoholic, and it almost ruined his marriage, his business, and his life. On October 22nd, 2013, Russ stopped drinking. Quitting alcohol was the catalyst, Russ says, that he needed to come back from the edge of disaster, both personally and professionally. Since quitting alcohol, Russ has grown Design Pickle from zero to six million in annual revenues, all while traveling the world, and has cultivated a rock salad marriage and partnership with his wife, and completed a Tough Mudder, which we'll chat about briefly, and a competition, Tough Mudder competition that is of 50 plus miles. So a lot that he has accomplished since he uh, got sober, which is fantastic. Uh, Russ lives in the Scottsdale, Arizona area with his family. And so in today's episode, we're going to chat with Russ about his interesting journey to where he is today. And then we're going to dive into specifically, he has a lot of insights and experiences to share in what he calls being creatively scrappy with launching a business. And all of us as small business owners, I know for myself, we don't have a lot of resources, so we have to be scrappy. So excited to get his insights on that. So once again, Russ Perry, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Henry. And just a tiny correction on the bio, it's the world's toughest mutter. Not the just world's the toughest one. Not just the, <laughs> so so I, I, I've researched it a little bit, obviously, in getting ready, and I had heard about it, but tell us what a tough mutter is. Well, a regular tough mutter is a three to, say, seven mile, sometimes a little longer, obstacle course. And you do a little bit of running, you do climbing, and there's a pretty intense um, – crew out there, the company of Tough Mudder, they basically think of these insane <laughs> ways for you to torture you and to be just like, well, I don't know, whether it's like running through mud under barbed wire or swinging from trapeze over ice cold water. Like they're, they're pretty amazing in what they come up with. So that's what a Tough Mudder is. The world's toughest mudder is pretty much the same thing, except it's a five mile course exactly around 20 obstacles, including a 30-foot cliff jump, and you do it as many times as you can in wow. the period of 24 hours. So there's no sleep. It's uh, it, it has been always out outside of Las Vegas in November, so it's cold. You're wearing wetsuits for part of it. And, yeah, I did that in 2016 and actually was supposed to do it in 2017 and, uh, and, and decided not to at the last minute. It was quite a interesting decision for me because I was ready to go. But um, yeah, there's a, I had a more important things I needed to focus on than running around in the desert for 24 hours. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, when you go online and you research it, you know, you see the pictures of people covered in mud uh, going through these obstacle horses. So my immediate question, of course, and not entirely flippant because it, it, it both scares me and I'm curious as to why. 
Yeah. That's a good question. And you know what's funny, Henry? No one has actually ever asked me that. <laughs> but you do think about this at, the, at 3 a.m. when you're by yourself. And it's oh, I'm sure. Um, you know, really, the honest reason is for the training leading up to it. It's not for the actual event. I find that the discipline required to train for an event like this allows me to live my day-to-day and my week-to-week at a very high level from my physicality, which relates to my mental clarity and my focus and my energy. And, and having an event to just capstone that to me is just a, an accountability for the training. So yeah. the event itself is pretty miserable actually. Right, right. Yeah, and I think that's the case for most events, a marathon, an Ironman, a big mountain trek, but it's the experience of, of what do, who do I have to become to get here and what is the discipline and the mindsets that I need to create to actually be able to pull it off. Yeah, no, I, I can completely understand that. I, I'm a cyclist, not a very good one, but a, but a cyclist mm-hmm. nonetheless. And, and I think you take away so much of it, so much mental benefit from it. Right. And because mm-hmm, exactly. you think back to fighting through, there's so many analogies that can be made through to fighting through the obstacles in life and in business and being an entrepreneur that I think it mentally, gets you in shape for yeah no you're absolutely right and and i look at when i'm there i look at people there were people who were amputees participating there were people who were 85 participating there were people who were kids participating and so it really puts things in perspective when you have these quote-unquote challenges that are not physical and, and you could just say like, well, I, I did, I did 50 miles in a desert. Like yeah. I, could, I could have this tough conversation. Right. How, how, how big of a deal is this really? Right? Exactly. <laughs> and you know, the other thing that it, that I think it does for you when you do these kinds of things, there's very few things I suspect that you do. I know for me that I do that when I'm doing it, my mind is focused on nothing else. In other words, there's that that brief time that we don't usually get where nothing, we're not thinking about business. We're not thinking about the day's problems. It's, it's this opportunity to have nothing but focus on that. And that we don't get too much of that. I suspect you don't either. Well, yeah. And the back to why uh, it, the training, not the actual event, but the act, the training is a meditative thing for me. So I'm big into meditation and I do it in a traditional sense almost every day, pretty much every day. But my training and my running and being outside, that also has the same effect. So it's calming. I don't run with music. I don't run with the podcast. I'm just with my thoughts. and, And I end up just kind of sifting out all of the the garbage during that experience. And then when I'm done, I'm what I'm left with is just the concentrated goodness, whatever ideas or thoughts I have at the end of an hour run. Those are the things that matter. All the stuff that happens the first 20, 30 minutes, that's just the noise I'm getting out of my system. Yeah, that's a good point. It's a good way to look at it. All right. So if I got it right, uh, we'll walk through this chronology here briefly, but you started working uh, for Apple while you were still at university, correct? I was. It was the world's best college job. I was getting paid a whopping $12 an hour, which I just <laughs> was like, it was a king sum. And I made my own schedule, which for a college kid was amazing too. And I was working with the higher education sales team. 
as products were updated and launched and there were significant events like back to school or spring break or whatever, I would be the boots on the ground coordinating marketing activities, you know, meeting students, trying to just trying to hustle and sell Apple. But it was yeah. It was a fantastic experience and then um, left the company and came back after college after I had a couple of marketing jobs and worked in the retail side of Apple, which again, still was a fantastic job, learned a lot, uh, just just still love the company and, and everything they do. But at the end of the day, it was a retail job. So my career paths were pretty narrow mm-hmm. unless I was willing to relocate and I had my daughter my senior year of college. So when I was 22 and that was, was never married. I was never, um, you know, with their mom, uh, like formally. And so I, but I didn't want to leave the state of Arizona and to continue to advance beyond retail for Apple, I would have had to move to California. Sure. Yeah. So I'm curious, you know, Apple of course is always something that gets brought up as an example and case study and written about. And it's one of the things, in fact, it's one of the reasons I started the podcast in part is that I was always challenged with translating those successes that Apple has and the way that Apple does things. And, you know, Apple's so clear about their why. I always challenged with translating that to my little small business. Are, are there some takeaways that, that you took from your time at Apple that you do think you have applied to your small business? Absolutely. And it, and it first started when I had my creative agencies, those unprofitable businesses that we mentioned during the intro. Yes. I did a lot of branding and I did a lot of branding in very non-creative industries and spaces, technology, manufacturing. And we took the mindset of Apple's branding strategy, which is one that is very emotionally driven and we focus that into things like solar technology or file management software or rural electric company text messaging systems. Like it was crazy, but it was the same DNA. And then when I went to launch Design Pickle, again, a very straightforward service. We're a graphic design company and a very straight one at that you know we don't do high concept kind of work we're more focused on the day-to-day stuff but we decided and from apple i wanted to have a very emotionally driven brand for our clients and for internally at our team and that's actually something that a lot of people don't realize is that internally working for apple they do just as much branding for their employees Hmm. as they do for externally in the market as a whole so, so define for me this, this term emotionally driven brand. What, what, what does that mean? I'm not sure if I follow what that means exactly. Yeah, well, I, lo- I think a lot of people fall into the trap. And this is really relevant for anyone who's listening, who's starting their first business or wanting to start their first business. You fall into the trap of communicating based on facts and features because you are passionate about what you do. And so you're going to say, well, I, I love this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. <laughs> so here's the price. Here are the features. Here's everything you get. Here's how we're going to help you. And what they fail to realize is that's not how we buy and purchase things. We purchase things emotionally. Do I like this or not? Do I, does this make me feel good or not? So we will even buy things that are of poor quality and high price if the emotional connection is there. Mm-hmm. And a lot of critics of Apple, you know, this is one of their biggest complaints is Apple releases an iPhone and they're like, well, awesome. There was an Android phone two years ago for half the price that has all that same technology. 
and you know technically they're right but what they fail to realize is that there is an emotional experience that goes into those purchases and and even after the purchase going to an apple store just getting technical support in, a, in an apple store is an experience into it itself mm-hmm. and so if you could take that and apply that to any industry you will have an easier time not only selling at a higher price you will also have a higher chance of retaining and i'll give you an exact example with our business because it's super relevant we're an optional service design you could become a client and you could say i love it and then two months later you're like i don't need you guys anymore and there's nothing we can do it's a month-to-month service there's no contracts and, you, and we call these, these, these specific cases are happy cancellations hmm. because they are, they're like, we didn't do anything wrong. We, you know, that we did, we got them what they needed, but they just are moving on. Right. So how do we, how do we do a better job retaining these people? It's all about the emotional play. And so what we do is we have a very high touch point experience the first 90 days to get to know this person, to understand their business. And, and to also recommend more ways to use us. And then if ultimately they do decide to leave, what we see a high percentage of people doing is either A, referring their friends and family, or B, coming back. And you wouldn't do that if you didn't have an emotional connection to the business. If I just go and I transactionally get some business cards designed and there's nothing, there's no emotion in that engagement, I'm not going to say like, oh, wow, you got to go work with this company. They were they were like totally helped yeah, and they were awesome to work with and they were funny and they like pickles. (laughs) Yeah. Otherwise it was just a transaction that has no, there's no memory to it. I get it. That's, that's, thanks for sharing that example there. So, so what led you to start your first business? Well, I mentioned it. It was, it was my daughter. So back at Apple, I, the first year of her life, she was born in 2005. My first daughter, actually I have three daughters now. Um, so this one's 12 going on 13. I can't believe it. She, her and I, and her mom, me and her mom, I had like just a visitation rights her first year before we got the custody stuff squared away. And so I always had to request time off to see my daughter. And I like thought this was the most insane thing ever. I'm like, I'm like, I don't want to have to fill out a form and get approval to go see my child. So of course, I'm 22, super naive. What am I going to do? <laughs> oh, I'm going to start my own business. I think entrepreneurs, I think I've read some books or heard about Richard Branson. He seems like he has a pretty free life and does whatever he wants. Right. So I'm going to start my own business. And that, that was it. I had a window of opportunity to take a leave of absence from some medical stuff from Apple. Um, when, I was, when I was recovering, I used that time to sort of build the framework of my first agency and I launched it and the whole thought was like, okay, either I'm successful and I can resign from Apple or I fail and I'll just come back to work and I still have a job at the end of it. Yeah. Interesting perspective. And so then you, you go at it for a number of years with little to no success. One of the challenges I've always found, including for myself, is when do you give up? You know, when do you throw in the towel on our particular business? Because mm. we're so emotionally invested and closing a business is is the final failure point, right? Where we have to admit failure. How did you get to that point? And was it related with the other challenges that you had in your life at that point? Oh, man, that's a really heavy question. I think... Well, the first thing was our business was 
a roller coaster. So one, some months it would be amazingly profitable and other months we'd get just taken to the cleaners. And this promise and this thought of like, okay, the next, the next big mountain is always one or two decisions away is what kept me going for eight and a half years. Mm. And I don't want to, um, trivialize the, this, the, the, the concept of a relationship abuse, but it was like an abusive relationship in a lot of ways. And why I think that's an accurate analogy is often in we're in a negative or destructive relationship, we are unable to, there's reasons why we're unable to see it either. Um, we can't rise above it. Either we have stories that we believe in our minds. And I believe that there was hope for this business. Now, layer on my alcoholism, which impairs judgment, which really just kicks the can down the road in a lot of ways. A lot of times people do drinks or are addicted to anything, even, even Instagram or social media, is they're avoiding something. They don't want to confront something. And so that was that was exasperated this exasperated the situation and I didn't realize that this was just a bad business. My partners and my teams were great people um, but the business itself was fundamentally flawed. So I got sober in 2013 and it wasn't until almost an exact year later um, about 10 11 months that I confronted my business partner and I had this clarity now. I had this peace of mind. I had this calming like peace when I could say, I could say, you know, Federico, this isn't it. I have to do something else. Mm-hmm. And he knew it. He, the writing was on the wall for him too. Yeah. Was he glad and, that you, that you said it? You know, he is 10 years older than me. And I think, I think he was not surprised at all and just sort of like, okay, you're right. This is the right thing for us. Yeah. He was, he was a, he was a funny guy because we still keep in touch. He's, he's, he lives in Buenos Aires. He's an economist from Argentina. And if you know anything about the Argentine economy, mm. you know that this is like, <laughs> that's like an insane position for someone. Right. Um, but he also was very optimistic about our business. And so we kept pushing it and we kept pushing it. And I think this blind optimism really led us down a path longer than it should have. Uh, but then when I closed the business and I had no clients, I had no money, I had to figure out what I was going to do. I didn't have a business partner. I wasn't drinking. I'd been sober over a year. That, that was like the exact trifecta or quadfecta of things to allow me to have my aha moment for design pickle. Mm. How, how, how was that gap period where, where you're in between things? I know for me, when I've been in that position, it's, it's crazy, right? Cause I just, I, I know it's a necessary step and everything's okay, but I'm just so anxious to get to the next thing. Oh, it was a nightmare. Henry, like I had two kids at the time. I was living in a part of Arizona that isn't cheap, like North Scottsdale. I had bills and expenses and everything. And so I freaked out. And what I did when I freaked out is I hit the hit the pavement and got some freelancing jobs and some cold consulting jobs. Sure. And thank God I did because that plugged the, the financial gap that I had I had created for myself. And then, and then what I did, and I had never done this before is rather than just trying to immediately launch into something else, 
I invested in professional coaching and consulting. Excellent. And I hired other people not to give me the answers, but to help guide me through the right questions for myself to answer that I could get to the other side successfully. And it was a slam dunk. I loved it. Yeah, no, that's, that's such great takeaways there. You had talked about also as related to your battle with alcoholism and getting through that, that you called it that crippling isolation, but, and that that's part of that personality. But I think it's, it comes with being an entrepreneur often. We do live sometimes out on an island and we can get very isolated. So I think it's obviously fantastic that you reached out for, if nothing else, someone else to talk to who understands where you're coming from or has been there or is there. And I think I only was able to do that because I had faced my demons with alcohol and I had gotten professional help with my wife and I had been able to just learn what it is to ask for help in a personal level that I was now open to that on a professional level. Yeah, it's fantastic. Thanks for sharing that. This is Henry Lopez, co-host of the How of Business podcast. And I invite you to schedule a free business coaching consultation with me. I welcome the opportunity to chat with you about your business goals and offer the guidance and accountability that we all need to achieve success. As an experienced small business owner, I understand the challenges you are experiencing. And often it's about helping you ask the right questions to help you make progress towards achieving your goals. I can help you get there. To find out more about my business coaching services and to schedule your free coaching session, please visit thehowofbusiness.com. So leading to the, to launching Design Pickle, back to the point of this challenge of deciding when do you stop investing in a business that's not profitable, do you, did you have a different perspective? Did you have a different runway that you gave yourself or or how did that influence how you thought about how long I'll go at it before this business is either profitable or we shut it down? <laughs> well, I don't think I actually ever, I like, I didn't ever like set a plan for myself, but we were profitable for month one. So luckily I never <laughs> had to, I never had to worry about it. <laughs> Interesting. So, so how did the idea come about then? What, what led to design pickle? Obviously you've got the creative background, so you were in that space to an extent and so you you identified an opportunity here that wasn't being met. Yeah, it was right out of right out of my consulting actually, and so my consulting just ended up becoming like a one man agency, and I knew that was the case, and I wasn't really happy about it. But I like look, I needed to make some money, so I was doing all sorts of stuff for people. I was doing business card design. I was helping with trade shows. I was creating brands. I was consulting for website stuff. And all of this just was so distracting. And I had ended up, I ended up getting more business than I could handle. So I hired uh, like a project manager online, a remote project manager. When then we hired like a remote graphic designer. And I said, Hey, this small design stuff, these flyers for, for a trade show or these Facebook ads and uh, whatever these PowerPoint backgrounds, I'm going to just have my clients email this generic email address you guys manage them and get them designed and then show them to me. And if they're good, I'll bring them to the client. Hmm. And so this one thing really was created more just to like, like get it off my plate. Cause I didn't want to have right. to manage it. I wanted to focus on the quote unquote, more important stuff. 
But what ended up happening is that stuff become, became like the easiest part. And my consulting clients were really, really thankful for it. They were really happy and they were really like into it. And so I actually read this book called The, Four, or, um, the Seven Day Startup. And it's written by a guy named Dan Norris. He's, he, him and his, his partner, Alex, founded a company, WP Curve. And, and in this book, he does like subscription-based WordPress updates. And he had like an outsourced team that managed them. And you just emailed this generic email address. And I like was like, oh my gosh, I have this same model, but instead of WordPress updates, it's design. And mm-hmm. so I decided in December of 2014 that I was going to brand it and launch it. And we did. Um, and we, we got a handful of clients and just kept chipping away every, every month since. Yeah. And, and uh, funding for the launching of this business, was it uh, kind of um, as you were doing the other design work that funded it? Did you get a loan? Did you have a partner? How did you get it started? It was all from the consulting revenue. And that's actually something that I'm really passionate about for people who are starting their own business. This consulting, you know, consulting is a is an interesting proposition. But if you do it right, you can be get paid a decent amount without a lot of time obligation or at least a very a much more minimal time obligation versus a full time job. And right. so I leveraged my surplus income as well as my surplus time to invest in the design pickle to launch it. Yeah. And then you've been reinvesting. Have you gotten to a point where you've had to go get outside money? We've, we've done twice. And uh, one was just a friend. He, you know, we had this big trade show coming up and you know how event trade shows go. If you pay really far in advance, you get a discount for the booth and for other things, but we weren't going to return that money until we um, until we executed the event. So he lent us some money. And then we found a, a, a banking product with a company called Lighter Capital, which is, again, just more like a banking loan. And their company out of Washington that we've used for, again, the same thing to fund um, trade shows and event marketing, which we did a lot of last year. Yeah. So speaking of trade shows, is that the one where you dressed up as a pickle? Well, that's where it started. My very, very first event I ever did was the Infusionsoft conference in 2015. And I bought a pickle on Amazon and I <laughs> bought a pickle cart. And, you know, funny story about that pickle cart is um, I'm from Arizona and there's this big Latin community. And there's a very common thing here in the Southwest where these the Mexican popsicle carts. We see them all the time growing up and they're guys um, with a bell on their handle of their card and they ring it and they walk through the neighborhoods and sell amazing fruit popsicles. So I was like, I want to get one of those. I'm going to push one of those. And instead of handing out popsicles, I'm going to hand out pickles. And that was my marketing plan. So I went to go get this popsicle card and I had called them multiple times about this popsicle card. And they're like, yeah, it's $25 to rent. I'm like, this is, this is awesome. Like such a cheap thing. I'm like, you sure? And I saw it and they're like, yeah. So I get there to pick up the popsicle card. This is the first day of the trade show. I have my pickle pickle costume and my pickles in my car. And they they say, "Oh, well you need it's a two it's a $25 rental fee with a $200 minimum ice cream purchase." <laughs> and I'm like, "I don't need $200 of bomb pops. Like what am I going to do?" And so they're like, "Well, you could buy it for $650." And I'm like, "Oh gosh." 
And so I, in my mind, I kid you not, my exact thought process was, well, if this design pickle thing doesn't work out, maybe I can rent this popsicle card on Craigslist to like people having parties or, or like, like sell popsicles or something with it. Right. Yeah. Or pick a neighborhood that's not taken and start selling popsicles. Yeah. That's great. But, but again, that goes to the, the point of, that we wanted to get into here, which is that it was, you were scrappy. You were creative with a limited budget on how you were going to make an impression at this particular event. Exactly. And, and, the, and the whole concept actually became because we were too late to get a trade show booth. And, and so I just said, well, what else can we do? Uh, can I hand out pickles? And then eventually that conversation said, yes, you can hand out pickles, but you only can do it in the tiled lunch area. So like a, <laughs> like a dog with an invisible fence collar, I only was able to walk around this one little area of the trade show handing out pickles. And frankly, what was funny is I was by myself. I didn't even get a business card. I didn't even like the pickles were wrapped in a marketing piece from, from about design pickle. But like I, people were so crazy about the pickles. I didn't even get to talk about design pickle, but thankfully it was a creative enough of an idea. And I attended the rest of the event in the pickle costume and like the sessions and all of that. So, um, people today, not, not even exaggerating two months ago, someone signed up because they still remembered us from the Infusionsoft conference in 2015. That's amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. So, I mean, you do think of that as an example of what we were talking about earlier about making that emotional connection, even though this is not quite, you know, maybe what Apple would do, but does it fall in that category in your opinion? Absolutely. Emotions are emotion. Humor is probably one of the most underutilized emotions. And that is the emotion to me that is what can be very disruptive, but also have a very warm, genuine side to it when done correctly. I'm not talking about just trying to get, you know, viral clickbait stuff online. I'm talking about genuine comedy and genuine, you know, putting yourself out there in a way where you're not afraid to be embarrassed and you can kind of show the real side and, and so that that has been one of our core values and it actually really um you know the core value is friendly but we do we use friendly in our marketing and we want that friendly value to always come yeah. through and to always be there with whenever we're doing and if you're in a if you're in a, a, a very stiff stiff industry humor ends up becoming like a super secret weapon because no one and no one's doing it. If you're like an accountant or lawyer or um, in manufacturing or, or specific B2B tech. And that's, a, that's what we did a lot with the agency was we would help these, these stiff companies have a little more hearts and have a little more fun. Yeah. Great point. Great point. Um, I also read about your, your strategy with emailing everybody you knew early on which is another you know, cost-effective way to get started. But tell us about that experience. Well, um, <laughs> I basically compiled every database I had from the agency. Uh, I still had access to those tools. We weren't using those contacts anymore. And I started BCC and emailing everybody in, from Gmail. I didn't even use an email marketing service, which I probably should have in hindsight. And I just said, hey, here's what we're doing. If we can help, let us know. I'd love to show you and talk to you about it. It was one-on-one -on -one sales process. Gmail actually banned me for a while because I was emailing too much 
from from their platform, and that's when I migrated to an actual email marketing service. I think we migrated to Mailchimp because they have a really good free plan. Right. Um, and but it was like talking to people. I mean, and for the first year and a half, I did demos. I talked to everybody. I was on the phone all the time, telling people over and over and over the same thing. I mean, it, it's not like these were these were high level conversations. Oh, what do you do? Well, we do graphic design. Oh, can I do this? Yep, you can do this. I mean, these were mind numbing at times. I was doing 10, <laughs> 20 a day, but it it's it's what I needed to do. You know, it's just I just like the scrappiness of it is what we needed to do, and I wasn't gonna 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 like turn down anybody, and I still don't. Like I will, I will talk to anybody about what we do and take as much time as required. Great insight there. Um, I'm curious, you, you talk about or in, doing the research, other interviews you've done and stuff I read that you, you have a, a filter that you apply to making decisions. I'm curious as to how that comes into play when you have a new idea, whether it's to grow the existing business or back when you were thinking about what was the next business. How do you decide to move forward with an idea or not? Well, when I first started, the, the tool you're referring was with my work from a guy named Taylor Pearson, and he's a really prolific writer, and he adopted some ideas from Ray Dalio. Actually, Ray Dalio just published a book, Principles, based off of this stuff, and it's kind of like, what are the guideposts of your life? And Ray Dalio, he's an investor. He said, you know, most of my wealth has been because I just operate by these principles, and I know these principles are going to lead me in the direction I want to go. And so that's that's the decision filter is is to be um, is is to be operating from these principles. And when I started before Design Pickle, these were all based around my lifestyle. So like it was I wanted to have a subscription based recurring business because from a cash flow perspective, I didn't want to be chasing down invoices. I wanted a remote business where, like we were talking about earlier, I'm 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 not in the office. I'm on, I'm on the road. And I can still run my whole business from my computer. So, so, you know, like to me that, that those were the things. So when I'm making decisions, I would, I would check those and I would say, okay, is, and, it, and this was one of the reasons I knew consulting wasn't going to work for me in the long term was because it wasn't recurring revenue. And I had to go to these offices to be able to, to implement my service. So once once Design Pickle came about, I ran it against these filters. I ran it against these sort of guideposts, and, and, it, and it passed with flying colors. Today, as a company, as a whole, we use our core values. So our core values are friendly, smart, working, truth, and service. So when we're thinking about new products, new decisions, new whatever, we effectively just say, you know, is, is this in alignment with our core values or not? Is this going to be in alignment with with helping us be more friendly, helping us serve our clients better, helping us, you know, is this a, is this the, is this the right technology solution for us? And it's the smartest one, or is there a simpler way we could do it? And, yeah. and we talk about this almost like to death because it's so important, especially with as big as our company is. Yeah. It's part of your culture now, obviously. Um, yeah. Great, great insights. Thanks for sharing that. All right. So tell us uh, the summary elevator pitch, if you will, of what Design Pickle offers. Who's your ideal client? Tell us about that. Yeah, well, you know, I think we've, we've hit it here and there, but 
recap, Design Pickle is a graphic design company where you get a dedicated graphic designer. Uh, it's an online experience. So you sign up online, you communicate with them through our app or email. And it's the best part is it's flat rates. So we learned that especially small business entrepreneurs, they don't want to have this variable cost when it comes to design and graphics. And often they avoid it or don't do it because they know it's this added expense or this unknown expense that if they, the more they use, the more they have to pay. So we, we are just $370 a month. You get to work with your designer as much as you want. Um, you know, realistically, there is a limit to what they can create in a month because they're just one person and they share about eight other clients. But we have had thousands of clients, um, actually, you know, almost eight to 9,000 clients and we have thousands of active clients all getting massive value and what we typically see are just the content, the creative content you need for sales and marketing. So it could be for podcasts like this, doing the graphics, it could be for an event, it could be for a presentation or um, you know, signage for your store. Uh, and we're just always there and always available. So it's, it's, it's very helpful. And um, I always say the, the minimum requirement is you should have a website and a logo. Okay. Like if you have a website and a logo, then then you're, you 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 could be in good shape to come come work with us. <laughs> right, right, good, excellent. Thanks for sharing that, Russ. Uh, what do you love most about what you do today? Our vision is to change lives through creativity, and what I love is in Slack is what we use to communicate. We have a, a bit of an automation where anytime we get feedback good or bad, it's posted in here so we can kind of see what's going on. And it's overwhelmingly good to the point where I get emotional seeing the comments from clients. Oh, like, I love my designer. They saved the day. This is so great. I, my event was awesome. So just knowing that we're impacting our client's life in that way is amazing. And then with our team, you know, people working for us, myself included, We've gotten to buy houses, take trips, improve our lifestyle, um, get married, have kids, and all of that is possible from what we've created. So I think we're doing a good job fulfilling that vision. Yeah, that's wonderful. All right. Uh, you've mentioned a couple of books already, uh, The Seven Day Startup. You mentioned uh, MailChimp as a tool, a couple other books. I didn't quite catch the the full names, but... Is there either one of those or another book that comes to mind that you would recommend? Well, I'm going to have to be selfish on this one and recommend everyone go get The Sober Entrepreneur. Absolutely. Uh, it's it's a book that, that, that very unabashedly talks about my personal journey through addiction. But I believe this is a book anyone could get value from because at the end of the day, all entrepreneurs are addicts. You have to be addicted to an idea. And you have to be addicted to a vision and you have to have this addictive personality to succeed. You just will not succeed unless you are just insanely addicted. And so we talk about what that means beyond just alcoholism. We talk about addiction as a very macro topic. And then it's, and then the second half of the book is crazy practical lifestyle tips, habits, rituals, things I invest in, in order to be at my peak performance so uh, you can find it on Amazon. Just Google Sober Entrepreneurs, get the print, get the Kindle. And I'd love for everyone to check that out. 
Yes, absolutely. And so again, as the Sober Entrepreneur, we'll have a link to it as well, as well as the other tools and books mentioned on the show notes page for this episode at our website at thehowabusiness.com. I think it's, it's such a, we, we talked about it earlier, I think it's a, an interesting and perhaps unique perspective, this concept of this addiction that we have as entrepreneurs, which I completely agree. And it ties into the conversation we had about why it's so hard then amongst many things to know when to quit a business, right? Because, right. because exactly. it's just so hard for us to do. So great perspective and insight when you look at it that way, as you mentioned, as a, you know, kind of like a bad relationship can be, again, not to, not to minimize a true bad relationship, but I get exactly what you were talking about there. Yeah. So thanks for sharing that. All right. Very good. We'll wrap it up here, Russ. Last question for you, especially on the topic that we wanted to focus in on of a scrappy launch for our listeners who are about to do it or planning to go through it, your last thought on starting a business as creatively uh, and without a lot of resources as possible? Well, the best and easiest way to get out of the scrappy mode is to charge enough money so you actually are profitable. And there is this huge misconception for new startups and entrepreneurs that oh, I just need to get some clients. I'm not going to charge them. I just need, or I'll charge just a little bit. And that is a death sentence for growth because you will not be able to invest in yourself or marketing or advertising or anything. So if you, you know, you got to be scrapping, you got to work hard, but you also need to, to charge enough to where you're making money. And I believe you can do that from day zero. I did it. And I just was confident in what I'm selling. And so if you don't feel like you can charge enough, then you need to rethink of what you're selling because that just is a symbol that you're not confident in what you're doing. Huge takeaway. Thank you for sharing that. Where would you like us to go online to find out more about you and Design Pickle? Well, probably the least strategic thing I can recommend is, is I'm in a competition with my wife to beat her in Instagram followers. <laughs> so if you could... Go to Instagram at Russ Perry and follow me. Uh, I have a ton of business content, ton of tips, ton of lifestyle stuff. It's fun. Uh, it's pretty humorous. That would be awesome. And then if you want to learn more about the book, just go to SoberEntrepreneur.com. And there's also links to Design Pickle from there. So as long as it's not too personal, what do you get if you win this contest with your wife? Well, she she kind of doesn't know I'm in a contest with her. Oh, I, I see. I, I see. I, no, she may have heard. I like she listens to the podcast and stuff from time to time. Um, but she's so good, and she's such such an art artist. <laughs> um, I'm just seeing if it's possible. There's actually no stakes on the line yet. Got it. Because if she's also a, a really huge competitor, so I think if I make it a formal contest, then she's just gonna like yeah. crush me. She'll crush so. me. <laughs> exactly. Better hope she doesn't catch on before it's too late. All right, exactly. Thanks. This is like a sneaky, like a <laughs> sneak attack. Virtually, this won't be live for another month or so. So you've got a little bit of a window there. Awesome. All right. Very good. Fantastic. Russ, this has been a, a great conversation. I've enjoyed it thoroughly. Uh, great insights and perspective. Thanks for sharing some really personal and insightful views and for sharing some tips and advice on how to launch a business. Uh, thanks for your time and your knowledge today. My pleasure. Thanks again. Best of luck to your listeners too. This is Henry Lopez, and my guest again was Russ Perry. Thank you for listening to this episode of The How of Business. We release new episodes every Monday morning, and you can find our show on iTunes, Stitcher, 
and at our website at thehowabusiness.com. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.